Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel and entertainment journalist. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. So welcome to the season four finale, episode 51. Thank you for sticking with me. I've had so much fun this season and it's just been such a necessary tonic to lockdown. And I hope it has been for you too. I don't want to speak too soon, but hopefully... Hopefully, this will be the last season recorded during a lockdown in my lifetime, I hope. Fingers crossed. But even though it's been a really challenging time, how wonderful it has been to connect with all of you and travel around the world from our armchairs. So thank you. Right, today's guest. Wow, this is a big one and quite an episode. One of the most famous and successful chefs in the world and in history. It's Heston Blumenthal. It was actually an unforgettable travel experience that inspired Heston to become a chef in the first place. But his story is remarkable. It's not what you'd think. He's entirely self-taught and was working other odd jobs all the way up until his late 20s when he bought a small pub in Bray in Berkshire, which he called the Fat Duck, or in this episode he calls it quite a lot, The Duck. And it went on to be awarded three Michelin stars and be named the world's best restaurant. A food pioneer, he's been dubbed the Willy Wonka of cuisine, fascinated by the science behind the cooking, which has led to world famous dishes like snail porridge, parsnip cereal and bacon and eggs ice cream. Oh, and did you know that it was Heston who invented one of my favourite things to eat ever? the triple cooked chip that was him and of course now emulated throughout the world this is definitely an unusual episode yes we cover travel it's a fundamental part of heston's food and it was so fun to hear about some of the weird and wonderful things he's eaten on his travels not all of them happy memories i should add But honestly, I really felt like I was speaking to a true genius in this chat. It's hard to find another way to describe it. And so we also cover off the meaning of life (laughs) and philosophy and quantum physics and scientific theory. He's determined to push himself and others to think beyond the confines of what we know already when it comes to food and when it comes to life. And so I went away really taking a lot from our conversation and I really hope that you do too and that you enjoy it. So here's a culinary legend, Heston Blumenthal. Heston Blumenthal, welcome to The Travel Diaries. Thank you so much for joining me today. Actually, I should say bonjour, Heston, because you're joining me from France. Ah, bonjour, Oli. Like like (laughs) Eston. You have to leave the age out. So you're out there full time now? Yes, we, we've been living here for um, just about two years now. How are you finding it? I love it here. Um, it's sort of I'm, several reasons why I'm being here. Part of it is almost like turning a new chapter in terms of my my well, career and my, and my passion and what I believe in. Um, and I found that 
um, what was happening. You know, I, I achieved more than I could have ever imagined. I never had any plans on, I thought maybe I'd get a Michelin star one day, you know, let alone the three stars and, 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 and yeah. all the other awards that came with it. And, and, and along with that was then found myself sort of a bit like a hamster on the wheel, you know, 600 odd staff having, we were, uh, for me, everything was about the importance of human imagination and creativity. And I just happened as we, I'll come on to this in our, in our travel chat, to be sparked by an experience I had as a teenager in a restaurant that's 15 minutes down the road from there. And it was like I fell down a sort of multi-sensory rabbit hole into this magical wonderland. And that memory stayed with me so powerfully that as I got into cooking, it got under my skin and in, in my blood. And that opened the duck. And for many reasons, you know, in our lives, we have so many moments that create an opportunity to react to and 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 that reaction then changes the course of the next you know to the next moment it's that um action and reaction and vice versa that that i started to realize maybe through accessing this incredible memory i had of that moment in the restaurant and i was building that this memory kind of got more colorful as, as i got more interested in food and i was trying i realized i was trying to recreate an emotion my emotional connection at that time without kind of realizing it. Then I started to realize in the late, late nineties that um, what we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we feel, what we think, what we, what, what, what we imagine all linked to our memory drive our uh, heavily influence our flavor preferences, you know, the foods that we like and yeah. we don't like and how we react to that food. So mm-hmm. just by changing the font, for example, you can change the taste of a, of a glass of wine. It's a great simple experiment or a cup of coffee by listening to different pieces of music, by somebody sitting in front of you with a different colored jumper by the weight of the cup or, you know, somebody that talks where they really pronounce their, their S, you know, it's a sharper sort of, or they pronounce their consonants more or the speed of somebody's voice, the temperature. There are so many things. It's such a complex thing that I've realized this was an incredibly um, fascinating world that the more I knew, the more I realized I didn't know. But at the same time, there was a, there was a business, you know, there was a team of people in order to, to, to achieve what in terms of, I'll, I'll never get there, but my imagination think turning those into sort of surprising moments and maybe creating it almost like you know, the movie Ratatouille, that Ratatouille moment where the yeah. food critic, yeah, that that's the holy grail for me to be able to do that with through food in the way that maybe a musician can do it with music or an artist with painting or even a mathematician, you know, these things are mechanisms to express and receive emotion. But then because of all the intricacies of, of the team and the business, I found myself working harder and harder being a hamster on the wheel to get more projects to bring more, to get more revenue in, to fund the things going forward. But then I needed more people to do those projects, which then ended up in this vicious circle. So after 25 years of the duck, which is this, this year, this is the 25th year. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm still standing. I um, (laughs) am. I realized that I, I, I focused as most of us do in life on the outside in. Mm -hmm. So that, that means let's say, in terms of cooking, that's recipes and techniques and plates and what the food looks like and, you know, all the things outside of us. Um, but I became unaware, unaware of how fascinated and obsessed I was becoming of the inside out. 
So what is our relationship with our with ourselves and our outside world? Again, a bit like Alice in Wonderland, how this she has this continual dialogue of questioning. Um, yes. And 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 that's a fascinating way for me to learn and be creative. So by doing this, I now I've realized I've just reflected on the last 25 years and actually see what I was what I was driven by in terms of my imagination and motivation and stuff. Um was discovering while I was pursuing the outside in techniques and ingredients and, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and now what I'm, I suppose the best way of looking at it uh, is sort of putting the inside out. I'm now, I'm now, I'm now flipping and actually focusing with awareness on the inside out into the outside in. And I think it's very relevant in, in in especially especially in the last sort of you know nine nine months to a year where i think our relationship with the food that we hunted gathered procured grew prepared cooked and ate is one of the most uh, important influential things on human evolution because after breathing in order to, to live you need to drink and eat and then sleep and then current theory is is social connection and so this relationship with food is so fascinating and so this has given me i live in a national park in provence i've got looking at the these cypress trees behind you yes this is my lab beautiful Um, this is so you're in your lab yeah so what am i seeing behind you here ah drawings (laughs) on the wall so these are a lot of work on on is again these are all linked to um sort of theoretical physics i suppose pi phi golden ratio fibonacci sequence the tilt of the earth magnetic field gravity there's vortexes and jellyfish on there uh i'm looking at i didn't expect to get into this but the the if you believe in things like string theory so everything on this planet is vibrating there's nothing stationary and that's generally Mm -hmm. accepted modern theoretical physics. So everything is vibrating. Everything makes a sound, whether it's audible or inaudible, everything, light makes a sound. Now, water is the mechanism for all the vibrations to to move and to flow. It's it's incredibly exciting because it is such a massive subject. The, the The very thing that is so simple on the surface in terms of we know what to do with is water. Is water, we and this drink. is your focus at the moment, right? Yes, You're specifically, really so, into water exactly. right now. So we drink it, we cook with it, we bathe with it. We need it to manufacture. We need it to, you know, whatever. I mean, we we know what to do with it, but we still don't know what it is. How come hydrogen and oxygen, two of the lightest things that we know, you put them together in a certain way, and you've got something that's so powerful with a lot that can fight gravity to the extent that a little leaf can grow through a tarmac road a little plant can push out tarmac it's it's got you've met a fellow water enthusiast here ah brilliant (laughs) (laughs) well the um gosh i forget the name of the study that you've talked about before the is it a japanese study about the uh, water being influenced professor moto yeah yeah 
So can you just tell me a little bit about that? Because it's something that I also discovered and it kind of influenced my look outlook on things. Ah, okay, brilliant. I love you asking me this question. I didn't expect this, these questions. So this We is want great. to get onto your travel diaries yeah, that, at some point, but, but let's talk yeah. about water for now. <laughs> so um, um, there was a guy called Professor uh, Umaro Imuto, Imoto. He spent uh, years researching the impact of vibrational energy on water so what he did was take water from many different sources and he froze the the water at minus 20 to minus 25 and then looked at the crystals. Then he projected emotions and written word to it. And the crystals are incredibly different. Then he did a rice experiment, which we've now done 10 times, where you take three jars of rice and in uh, the same rice, the same water. And every morning for a couple of months, you give one love and gratitude. The other one you give, um, you give, um, you know, useless, idiot, pathetic and negative um, emotions. And the middle one you ignore. And after a couple of months, this depends on your ability to be able to project. If you can, if you, you say the words, but you need the intent behind them. Mm-hmm. The rice that's been given the love and gratitude, the water on the top of it goes slightly golden, floral, cheesy, um, fermented in a, in a in a pleasing pleasant way. The one that's been abused goes like an old bit of a stinky cheese, but the mm-hmm. one that's ignored rots. And the smell between them is incredible. And we, we've done this 10, 10 times. And then, then we started, we've done by playing different, you know, Martin Luther King to one jar of rice and, and, and Hitler to another jar of rice. And you can see the difference. That is incredible. But the difference is incredible. So there's never nothing. So vibrational, the vibrations, they never stop. So that our conversation now will be in the ether and it will be in people's memories if, they, if they've, they've heard it potentially forever. Yeah. And, and so water has this ability. In fact, Ikea a couple of years ago did a, something in, you can see this on YouTube, bully a plant. And they, they, they combined Imuto's work with a guy called Cleve Baxter, who, who invented the lie detector machine in the 60s, who, li- who wired a plant up to a lie detector machine. <laughs> and it's only when he had the intent to burn the leaf, he could see the lie detecting machine move. It, it, it just shows how how much more involved we need to become in terms of our understanding of how the word the world works i mean yeah. i i've been interested in it because i because we are as humans 70 percent comprised of water right is it 70 percent yep 70 72 percent yeah and so i um i have a health condition that was caused by a bacterial illness and oh, yeah. it gets worse when the moon is full absolutely a lot a lot worse it creates when you have a full moon uh, sap rising it create it creates inflammation and this is why it can affect people's moods i mean men and women because that rising moon if the tides rise if you think the effect of the moon can make oceans rise well that's exactly what i always say in the sea it's the water rises exactly i that that's what i whenever i've said that to to people and i say my symptoms are worse but it's a full moon they think that i sound like a complete lunatic but i I always come back and i say sorry if the moon can influence the tides then the moon can influence the water that's in our body absolutely and so likewise so can moods we have to work 
on them. The biggest thing that inflames the immune system is unaware stress, normally created through defense mechanisms in childhood. And the worst of all is actually not, it is being ignored as a child, which links to the great the jar of rice. Because Imuto says, imagine if our emotions can do that to rice, it's the water. What can they do to ourselves? The bully a plant campaign that IKEA have done in in uh, in Singapore, kids bully one plant and and give love to the other plant, and they see the plant dying. And so, inflammation of our immune system generated by anxiety, and we're living in a world where we're becoming increasingly anxious. But it's when we're not aware of it. At least if we're aware of it, we can try and work on it. It's not easy. I'm not saying that at all. So this is more relevant than ever before. When that mental health levels get that high, what do we do? We're going to put everyone on Prozac. You know, thank God for modern medicine and vaccines and chemotherapy and things like this, because when we're in an emergency, we do, we, we've got stuff to deal with it. But at the same time, we've got to be looking at preventative, but not by telling people what's good for them or not, because then that's judgmental. And funny enough, Imuto, Imuto, Professor Muto did an interview about smoking, and I'm not suggesting that we start smoking by any stretch of imagination. Muto said the worst thing on a packet of cigarettes is smoking kills. That's the worst than the cigarette because the government are happy to yeah. take the money. You buy the cigarettes. If you if you have an issue yourself with smoking, you if you if you want to stop enough, you can stop. But if you can't stop, but you want to stop, or you're in conflict with yourself. You're spending money on a packet that's telling you you're useless and you're pathetic. So it's you're embodying in, it, a trauma every abs- single exactly. time you smoke a cigarette. Exactly. And Gabo Mate says something like that the, the 99 times in, uh, increase in likelihood of cancer, smoking increases your potential cancer. So we've all got cancer cells in our body, but they're dormant. When you have unaware stress, you get an inflammation of your immune system, and that's like lighting the fire. Yeah, we've got so much more that we need to wrap our heads around, don't we? Yeah, amazing. I mean, life is beautiful. It's just got to dig deep. Right. Well, that's a good cue for us to start Start go through your travel diary tested. Let's start at the very beginning first. Yes. Chapter one is your earliest childhood travel memory. What would that be? Cornwall. It was going to Cornwall. It was waking up at yeah, middle of the night like maybe three in the morning. In those days, I'd, I'd, it took hours to get there. Um, we had an estate. So the back seat went down. And I remember, I can remember lying in, a, a, I think they were sleeping bags, my sister and I looking out the back window. But I remember the lights in London going past. So we were going backwards as a windscreen wiper was making that whirring, scraping noise. And the, rain's, yeah. the rain was pattering on the window. And my dad was driving and there was something really sort of, I don't know if it's because it was my dad, but the feeling of feeling cozy and protected. It was raining outside we're going on holiday and the movement of the break. And I can remember the actual feeling of it. Um, We'd always have an argument, my sister and I somewhere, somewhere on the way there where she'd accused me of taking more (laughs) air than her because I was bigger Mm -hmm. than her. And then my parents once or twice kicked us out of the car and drove off. They they basically (laughs) saw us and then they came back and picked us up. And what part of Cornwall did you go to? I remember the hotel was called the Seacroft Hotel. Pra Sands, Pra Sands, I think it was that mm-hmm. sort of area. And, yeah. and I, my memories are sort of, there's, there was a cliff walking down 
the steps onto the beach windbreaker. I remember bashing the windbreaker in and sitting with loads of sand. And my dad had sandwiches out of tinfoil um, and, and the blue thermos flask with the tea. There's a particular flavour that tea has in a plastic flask. Is it a worse flavour, would you say, or is it just a particular flavour? Well, well, yeah, If you, I think if you not, don't grow up with it, if you grow up with fine teas that are brewed at the right temperature and they're harvested you know, from a very biodynamically yeah. blah, 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 it might be a bit of a shock. But if you grow up with that, I haven't had actually tea from a thermos flask for a very long time, but I can still remember it. There's, there's a taste. There's a taste that it has. So I'd probably find it quite... It is its own thing. It's a bit like tin tuna, I suppose, is compared to, you know, bluefin tuna cooked to its blue in the middle. Um, mm. And um, and then a very fond food memory, which actually wasn't my earliest food memory, but very fond food memory. We're sitting at the back of my, an old purple cortina with a big front seat, like it was a sofa, massive steering wheel, and, we, and the boot was open, and my sister and I would sit wrapped in a towel, having climbed up back up to the top of the cliff, eating a warm Cornish pasty out of a brown paper bag. Mm. I think that, that I remember, I remember that as well. So we used to go there. And they're happy memories. Yeah. So much so that actually when we, when are we, we moved to Australia when we re, re renovated the major renovation of the duck and I wanted something, yeah. I wanted to evolve catch for the duck to catch up with my beliefs or catch the duck up. Before, oh. when we reopened after Australia, the menu of the fat duck, I changed it to a map. Right. And it's a map of an imaginary island, and it's a day's holiday for me as a child. Oh. And within that day, you know, it's a bit like, you know, sometimes when you say your, your perfect day, and then people, they don't do all those things in one day. You just, you put them in. So it's yeah. based on things that I remember. I'm not saying they all necessarily happened, but they could have happened. So it's a story and the table, the light above every table changes from morning to night. So you, you wake oh up, go drive down to Cornwall, you wake up, you have breakfast and then, and then the light goes and then, and then you, and then you go to the beach. Who's first to see the sea. And there's all these little, you know, these little sort of memories that are connected. And then, then uh, we're after the, been the sea, the, the, um, the walk in the woods, because I remember if it's raining, we'd go see a, of Cornwall, there was a castle somewhere. I had this memory of walking in the woods, and then um, and then have dinner. So we'd go to a pub, and then get ready for bed. So we had this dish called counting sheep, oh. and then you dream, and then you get the sweet the the sweet shop, which is as the kid feeling oh, excitement. So imaginative, and it just like puts a smile on your face immediately. Just thinking about it, I want I want to go on that journey. So, <laughs> so that's so yes, it has had big. It has. When we reopened after after uh, Australia, it was my childhood memory of holidays in Cornwall. Love that. Love that. Right. Let's move on to chapter two. Yes. That is the first place that you fell in love with. The Regent Snack Bar in the Edgware Road. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was left field, wasn't it? My... My, we lived um, between Insulaja Road and Paddington, and my gran, every Saturday morning, would drag my sister and I, I, I was probably seven or eight, my sister would have been five or six, to Church Street Market, which was a bric-a-brac. I mean, it seems, let me see how old I am now, where there, it was like Steptoe and Son, people selling junk off the back of a horse, horse-drawn carts. And my gran and her 
her neighbor or her best friend would, would, would sort of elbow each other and sort of make jokes and have nicknames for the different traders. And mm-hmm. so we'd have to be dragged around this, yeah, old rugs and, and bits. What we thought was just the, it's the last thing you wanted to really see as a, as a, you know, seven, eight year old child. Yeah. However, on the way back, we would walk past Regent Snack Bar and it was this little Sicilian run ice cream parlor, Art Deco. So you can imagine mm-hmm. they had sort of red and yellow panels with chrome framework and there was a big plastic ice cream cone over the door and a, and sort of curved window, a little a, a, a hole in the wall window with curved glass going into it or you could walk in. I don't think they had many varieties, but I remember getting some ice cream and my sister and I, it was in a tub and these a couple of guys in white coats would scrape the ice cream onto the into the uh the container with like a like a spade like an aluminium scraper and holding this brown paper another brown paper bag with this pot this tub of ice cream in it walking home it was probably a 10 minute walk but it seemed like days we had to wait to get home to eat it so that when I look back, and this is the beauty again of memory, and this with holidays, it depends how we view. I think we should we should look at how we view holidays and travel and and, and our relationship with the with the moment we're in. For me, our uh, yeah, we our endocrine system, which is our hormonal emotional system, drives our emotions and in turn is uh, drives our actions, and our actions in turn is cause and effect influence our emotions mm-hmm. and our endocrine system can argue that we evolved to protect us. So we're either attracted to things or repelled by them. So you can have things like adrenaline and cortisol, which are stress hormones, which will might repel you and give you the opportunity to learn, or you can suffer from them. And you have the endorphins, which are the, which are the, the attraction, um, um, you know, but sort of hormones or oxytocin, the bonding ones. They're called reward, the, 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 the endorphins and, and, and uh, dopamines, they're called reward hormones. Yes. It's because you work for reward. So if you work for something, it's always worth more value. And, and waiting is working. So if you go on a holiday, it's like waiting for Christmas. You should really value you could either just be moaning that you're you've got you still got three months to wait. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Value the excitement because now your holiday is not a week or two weeks. It's actually the moment you think about going on holiday. Just be aware that that and, and you think you can make it happen, and then you make it happen by booking, and then you just enjoy that that journey. Then, but what a lot of people do or have done in the past is they go on holiday, and let's say it's two weeks. The moment, the first few days is just getting used to trying to relax. And this tipping point. And the moment the shoulders go down and the tipping point happens, oh, you've got seven days left now. So, oh, yeah, we're all guilty of that. You know, yeah. So if you, could, if you could take approach it differently, I think you could get a lot more value from, from, the, from, from the holiday. Extrapolating out from that, what, you're, what I think is quite interesting is that that idea of the po- the endorphins versus the cortisol like the positive energy versus the negative yeah. energy yeah in that it really seems to correlate what you're saying about being present and grateful and experiencing the moment um 100% and do you think that we're at risk then of becoming 
more dominated i mean already we're more dominated by cortisol of course but like even more dominated by that because of the fact that we're looking at things through the medium of our phones through the medium of gratification that's coming through validation through likes through social media you said it uh, you just say you said that so so eloquently and much more eloquently and efficiently than 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 i could have done (laughs) exactly yeah. Exactly. And when we say we, you obviously we're not saying everybody, but this is a great opportunity to to realize that and use what we might consider to be negative. We need adversity in life because without adversity, we've got nothing to work on. So when human beings say that, what is normal? Well, our baseline is suffering. Every human being suffers. That's why positive thinking, it's all very well to to to, to be aware you're positive thinking but if you just positive think if you don't allow negative emotions to come out and observe them then you bury them and then we go back to this inflammation stress builds Mm -hmm. up Mm -hmm. so we do need that doesn't mean to say we deserve pain but every human being suffers that's like the buddhist philosophy isn't it that's the baseline like life is suffering life is like it is i mean and, and that's how our from a hormonal point of view we we with, without suffering, we've got nothing. We've got that's working for reward. So in a really silly small way, I suffered. <laughs> I suffered having to having to go through that bric-a-brac market and walk <laughs> yeah. back with my ice cream. Yeah. But without that suffering, I wouldn't appreciate. It's like if you with water. You know, I know what it's like to be. I know. I know. I can remember the thirstiest I've ever been. And I can remember how much I appreciate the water I had, the first sip I had after I was so thirsty. However, I don't know what it's like to to be dying of thirst. I I can only begin to imagine how valuable does that become. Mm-hmm. And that, that's your sort of when when we the fallout of us making our lives generally in the Western world and the modern world so comfortable is that we now project our fears into the smaller things in the future that could go wrong. And, and talk about Buddhism, there's a fantastic quote I saw by the Dalai Lama not too long ago. He said, what confused him most about um, humanity? He said, man, meaning man or woman. He said, because they uh, sacrifice their health in order to make money. Then they, they sacrifice their money to get their health back. Yeah. They don't live in the present. They live in the future projected from the past. They live as if they, they live as if they're ne- never going to die. Yeah. And then they die never having really lived. I thought, well, that was, oh, that's, that's a, God, that's, that's, that's profound. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I think with things like that, you can read them and be like, whoa. And then we're really, it's so easy to then just push it to the back of your mind and then just carry on in your kind of negative cycle so it's good to reflect on those things from time to time yeah and if you can't value death how can you can't value death is what gives you value to life that's not being morbid now if you if you could live forever forever Mm. so you couldn't let's say you could never die well then life would then become less valuable but it's easy to it's very easy to sit and have this conversation, and then and then you know this afternoon something else will, something will come up and I'll be under and I'll get all stressed and you know <laughs> yeah like you we can't get your internet browser to work properly or like yeah, the car won't start it's the biggest disaster. <laughs> Chapter three is the place where you learnt the most about yourself as we're being quite introspective at the moment. That that would be my experience as a fifteen year old coming to 
the restaurant that I'm 15 to 20 minutes away from, the Hostel de Beaumaniere in Lebo, Provence. And as we've discussed, you know, I, the contrast, I'd never experienced anything remotely gastronomic before. And this place is in a magical spot. It's a UNESCO site mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a valley of bauxite rocks with olive groves, with a medieval um, town on the top of the top of the, um, the the rock just above it it's an old provincial farmhouse and i remember sitting on this terrace with the and the, things like the noise of the feet of the waiting staff crunching on the gravel the crickets fill the air the noise of the, this intoxicating sound of, of of crickets and smell of lavender and the crunch of the gravel of the feet of the waiting staff and the the wineless that was like a billboard and the cheese trolley that was like a chariot. I mean, the pouring, pouring sauces into souffles and carving legs of lamb at the table and the chink of the glasses. And I, I fell down a multi-sensory uh, rabbit hole into some wonderland. And that's when cooking and eating got under my skin. And I yeah. kept on accessing that memory and telling more stories about it. So it became like a fishing store and embellished it. I've been back there since um, many times. It's mm-hmm. still magical. And I think with the duck, it had such a profound effect on me that has lasted, that the effect became more profound over the years. And this is, again, when you're, I think, when we can be sensorially in the moment. So let's say you're, whether you're watching a sunset or whether you're just going for a walk in, the, in, in, the, in, in, in your local park or through the woods, if you can feel the twigs cracking underfoot and you can smell damp leaves or you can hear a bird tweeting or feel the wind on your skin, all of these things anchor your awareness and your connection with that moment. Yeah. So if then you want to take a photo, for me, if you want to take a photograph, I, I think the photograph becomes so much more valuable once you've anchored your emotional uh, awareness of your, of your moment in time then take a photo and that will influence how you take the photo. So then when you look back at that photo, you can remember the moment and you might even be able to remember the emotion. And when you can do that, time expands just because you've been on holiday or you've been for a walk, Mm -hmm. that walk is still there and that walk can still grow and become more rich and you can learn from your memory. So it's like you, you continuing to expand, expand time. And that's, that's what the Beaumaniere that's what it did for me. And from there, a love of food just grew. And that was it. Whether I liked it or not, it got under my skin and in my blood. And in fact, with the duck, I was, I questioned, when I remember doing the Fat Duck Cookbook, which took years, but I, one of the things I was asking is, how come I ended up, I, I came up with this phrase, multi-sensory, eating and cooking is a multi-sensory experience in the late 90s. I didn't realize that, um, not only the, the, the gastronomic world, but the neurological, neuroscience world hadn't considered this. The, all the work was being done on how one sense affected the other, but you can't separate them. And I think my f- first paper I was involved in was, was we made a, a Sussex University, a guy, a Professor Martin Yeomans, and we did it with smoked salmon, frozen smoked salmon mousse, or called it smoked salmon ice cream. When it was called smoked salmon ice cream, it was perceived to be 20% more salty <laughs> because the name changed the expectations. If you expect sweet, get salt. The contrast is much greater than if you expect salt, get salt. And, um, and so I kept on thinking, well, how, 
Why am I so fascinated about this? Why? I think because the fat duck in many ways was so, um, so far away, millions and millions of miles away from the Beaumanier. I didn't have Bauxite Cliff. I didn't have a medieval village. I didn't have crickets and lavender. I didn't have an olive grove and a fountain in the back. I didn't have any of that. It was yeah. a little, very old building on the side of a village. It side was a tumble-down no... pub that you you kind of picked yeah, up. tiny little thing. And I think because I was... I was caged, but I, I, I lived in that tiny kitchen. My memory, it, it's almost like that helped to make that memory even more precious. And I think I was wanting to access my rabbit hole moment of the Beaumanier, yeah. but by, because I didn't have the it. bells and whistles and stuff, I did it through headphones and sprays and all the stuff that I now, uh, I now see on, off, on TV, you know, all of the the all the the Willy Wonka type creative stuff, I think that the combination of that moment in the Beaumanier, and yeah, and 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 all the other things that happened to me, but my experience and my reaction to it, but that moment in the Beaumanier, and then the fat duck not having any of those things the Beaumanier had, but what it did have was my imagination. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do? Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. I, I feel like it's important for me to point out that you failed your chemistry O-level, didn't you? Yes. And, <laughs> and now you're a fellow of the Royal Society of uh, 
chemistry is that right amazing yes yeah and yeah. i was listed i was listed as one of the 175 most influential scientists of all time according to the royal society of chemistry <laughs> um, i mean that is amazing rightly so but what an incredible achievement and also you didn't take that conventional route you got the fat duck at 29 was it you, which wasn't yeah. the fat duck at the time yeah um by that point i imagine most chefs have been in a kitchen for you know 10 years working their way yeah. up so you didn't take a conventional route from the cooking or from the scientific approach i mean no. like there's there wasn't a, a background there so how, how how did it happen how did you end up with three michelin stars of being the best restaurant in the world like what <laughs> what's that saying one thing led to another i just uh, i just think a whole many reasons it's like you know what's that phrase that's saying uh, uh, it took 25 years to be an overnight success right let's let's pause there and move on to chapter yes. four that is your all-time favorite destination the big one i think the beautiful thing about about imagination and memory is that we can absolute favorite can change just like your favorite oh, yeah. food so i i'm t- i'm talking at the moment my absolute favorite place in the entire world is right here right here right right here oh, in 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 provence and, and just tell me a little bit about the local area what what, well, what, what it's called, if people go and visit it, what they should do? I'm in a, a national park called Les Alpilles, which is where Les Beaux is. So if you imagine Marseille, take a car from Marseille, it's about 50 minutes uh, west of Marseille. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, the main, the biggest town in Les Alpilles is Saint-Rémy, Saint-Rémy de Provence, which is where, yeah. again, Van, Van Gogh's uh, hostess is. And... Um, there's, it's basically, they're not mountains. It's Les Alpes, the baby Alps. They're, imagine they're hills, fairly big hills with rocks. So to call them mountains is a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit of a, an overstatement, but there it, it's, uh, it's full of olive trees and vineyards and lots of honey makers and, and fruit growers and, and stuff like that. And that beautiful light that you mentioned. The light is unbelievable. And, and the, the Mistral, so the, this is a, quite a unique wind that blows down the Rhone Valley. And then when it hits Avignon, flat land, it comes out in this hurricane, these, um, um, what do you call them? Yeah, the hurricane. Like the whirl- well, yeah, whirlwind tornadoes or whirlwinds. And you can see the leaves when, when the Mistral picks up, when it's low, the leaves actually don't you don't need to sweep the leaves because it brings them all into a pile but when it gets powerful it does the same with chairs <laughs> chairs and tables but it <laughs> blows the clouds away it blows the pollen away so you have and then the bauxite rock lay bows after the name of bauxite is incredibly porous and incredibly reflective and the igalier here the town is is actually originally called land of water aquilaria all right. So is that why you've set up this lab to look at water there? Oh, it's another sort of, you know. A full circle moment. Living the dream. It's a full circle moment, yeah. As Oprah would say. Yeah, full circle moment. <laughs> well, chapter five yes. then is your hidden gem, a place that you love that maybe the listeners don't know that well. It's just down the road from here. Yeah. There's a little monastery. Mm-hmm. It's called, it's called um, um, Epiph. Monastery Epiphany. I'm not. I, I I don't believe in religion, but I believe in the belief of religion. Mm-hmm. That if makes that makes sense. sense. Yeah. 
I, I, but I can see how religion can be incredibly beneficial. It, like everything's an, an object. So like a, a telephone has potential. Religion has potential. Um, everything has, but our relationship with that object is the key thing. So I, I, when I say I believe in the belief of religion, you know, people that collectively believe in something can achieve incredibly positive and incredibly negative actions as a result of that shared belief. Mm-hmm. However, somebody, um, a very good friend of mine who is a professor, Thai, he's from Thailand, but a fantastic theoretical physics professor who has done a lot of work on the connection between quantum theory and Buddhism. So the crossover of sort of the appliance of science to spirituality, let's say. Yeah. He said to me, when I Common. before he said, if you find any little, yeah, basically, if um if you if you find any little churches or chapels that have thick walls that are old, try and meditate in them. Uh, this is a few years ago. He said, Oh, okay. He said, I asked him why. He said, because the frequency of belief over the years would also be in that stone. Yeah. So I've got an electric mountain bike, which 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 I, I adore, and I take it up the the rocks. I go and I go once or twice a week. It, it's and and on the way back, I come down. Um, I do it once a week. I come down, but it's closed now. Past this, when I say monastery, imagine this little provincial um, house, mm-hmm. one story. Mm-hmm. You can fit maybe twenty people in. It's got it's got coir matting, straw chairs, and there's a little altar at the front of it. And um, I just go in there and I sit for I don't know five, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes, and just sit and meditate. And it's so easy to drop into meditation because I can hear a high pitched frequency wow. from from the brick. The walls are really really thick. Um, That's and it just, amazing. You know, it's, it's amazing. Uh. So that is your special special place. Yes, that's my hidden gem. Oh, I love that. So in contrast then, chapter six is your worst travel experience. Is there a place that you remember for the wrong reasons? Well, no, I, I, I've never, you know, those nightmares you see on TV where people, they, they wait for their holiday and then, and then they, they get stuck in an airport for a week or two weeks and never oh, get yeah, there. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've 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 been stuck in an airport for a day, but not I've never had that experience. Or you know, you get a you get a horrible bug or virus or food poisoning, and and you know, which completely disabilitates you. So it seems obviously you'd rather be at home. I haven't had anything like that happen. Um, and and coming back to perspective, the way I see now, I went I went to I went to Turkey. Um, not too long ago. Oh yeah. I went, I went to smart hotel in Turkey. The people we went as my, 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 my wife and our, our daughter, it was a lovely hotel. Um, and people nodded, the staff nodded, but no one spoke English, but it was an international resort an international hotel. And that was, that was sort of fine until realizing that when you sort of, we, 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 just it was relaxing exercise and we just chilled in the room watched the movie played with our, our daughter and ordered room service we, we order a kebab and the housekeeping turns up you know you couldn't ask for anything you couldn't ask for anything because they wouldn't even understand what a glass of water was so I had to point to things and 
And and I felt myself getting really frustrated and thinking, God, how can this be an international hotel when when you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're paying this money and they don't yeah, tell yeah, people yeah. that it it, it it was it was not a, a uniquely Turkish hotel. And then when I thought, hang on a second, why don't we just embrace it? Just embrace it, and maybe it means you don't you have you have more privacy. So I, I sort of flipped it flipped it on its head, and we had a we had a we had a fantastic time in the end. So I I don't I've you know I've I've had some trips I've had some trips that which were under the pretext or they were they were TV travel trips. So Siberia, traveling across Russia in a plane that was falling apart. In a, in a in a in a wooden shed in freezing cold Siberia with no no toilet and wow and yeah that's intense very strange conditions. <laughs> However, I was filming, so the, the so the so if it was a holiday that was that was I think is expect. What do you expect out of a holiday? That's the thing. And if you if and we you, put it, such high expectations, don't we on things? Yeah, well. yeah, and and you, you could focus on the kettle not working or something like that. And then get really frustrated. In fact, again, it comes back to perspective. <laughs> totally, totally. Oh, and I have to ask you very quickly, what, what is the worst thing you've ever eaten? Is there something that sticks oh, out? I've had, a, yeah, there's, 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 there's two. I mean, I've, I've, again, through TV, I've tasted many things that many people would just, you know, um, cringe at. <laughs> But I can see the, your the, face looking, thinking yeah, well, about it. <laughs> one was fermented shark. They were both in Iceland, actually. One was fermented oh, shark, God. and it was a yeah. ceremony. It was all part of the they, they have a they have a culling season, and it was hanging up, and 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 we were filming, and it was in this little cabin by the side of a Iceland, beautiful, beautifully bleak, but beautiful. And to put this in my mouth, I thought I was having an anaphylactic shock, but I don't even know what an anaphylactic shock feels like. But my whole chest started to contract. The other one was also in Iceland. It was something called scatter, which is skate that they used to pee on. And the ammonia would then preserve the, the fish. Now, they I don't know what they do to develop, get the ammonia, because ammonia is a preservative. So they use yeah. ammonia in baking biscuits. Classic uh, classic biscuits. I don't, from, I'm not necessarily digestives but of the ilk they put ammonia in the baking and then it bakes off it all evaporates right. but it preserves the biscuit so right. this preserves the fish so the flesh looks beautifully shiny and fresh i'm on this boat and i put this piece of fish in my mouth and for the first time in my life my throat took on a life of its own and it basically told me to get <laughs> stuffed it, it, I, I didn't vomit it the as the fish went down it's like my throat created its own catapult <laughs> and I had no control over it. it I saw this piece of fish just being like fired out of my mouth completely undigested I thought how can people eat this but the older generation some of the older generation do and this is an interesting point where people say this is disgusting it might be disgusting to you there is no food inherently disgusting because if it were nobody would eat it so our flavor preferences they evolve through our life you know and to try and change somebody's flavor preference it can be a very very challenging difficult thing to do but if you do if you get somebody to eat something they hadn't eaten before and would have been scared before but actually really like it that's a great feeling oh yeah yeah and i guess that's like a fundamental food philosophy of of you 
has to. Yes, yeah, not it's not trying to revolt people, not trying to make them go. Not trying. <laughs> it's actually discovery to try and use yeah. curiosity from to discover in the process. Yeah, right. Well, we are on to the final chapter of your travel diaries, chapter seven, the destination that is at the top of your travel bucket list. Is there a place that you've not yet been that you're really excited to go to? There's a few. There's a few. I would say that um, my overriding or main sort of interest now is my connection with myself and the planet around me. So my connection with myself and nature. Mm -hmm my connection with other human beings and in particular my connection with other human beings or their the other cultures connections with the foods that they fish farm hunt harvest grow whatever and so you know the the the, the, the in the fund of the first sort of head of my, my connection with nature i'd love to go to the galapagos because i think you know, Charles Darwin to the unbelievable example of how humans' incredible ability to to join the dots when they can observe. Yes. Um, I'd love to go to the Galapagos. Um, I would also love to see the Northern Lights. I went been to Iceland twice and I mm. saw them once under a postage stamp hole in the clouds. I mean, it was so, it was, it was just so close. They so were there, but, so far. but I couldn't see them. I'd love to see the Northern Lights. Then from then from a food point of view, I would be, I mean, there's some tribe, I'd like to spend time with some tribes uh, to learn again, you know, just the, the correlation between hunting, gathering, fire making, pr- preserving, processing, cooking and eating and music. I, I'd love to look at that. But in terms of countries, I mean, Korea, uh, yeah. I'd, I'd love to experience um learn more about korean food i'd love to go to the amazon uh peru and then i'll probably put indonesia and polynesia in there as well as well so there, there are i mean i've been so lucky enough to travel to but there's a lot yeah there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot to discover fantastic well i hope you're able to start visiting some of those places very soon fingers crossed fingers crossed yeah. Well, thank you so much, Heston. Those were your your travel diary. It's been such a pleasure. Brilliant. Thanks for thanks for the, the questions and letting me talk at you. Oh, that was the incredible Heston Blumenthal. If you want to hear more from Heston, tune in to his own podcast, Heston's Journey to the Center of Food, which is available on all podcast apps, and it's great fun. Oh, well, that's a wrap for season four. Thank you so much again for joining me along the way, wherever you are in the world. I'm so grateful that you've spread the word about the podcast, shared your favorite episodes on your socials, telling your friends, leaving lovely reviews, sending me the most amazing messages. It's been lovely to feel like a little Travel Diaries community is really growing that you've all helped to create during a time when we've otherwise felt pretty disconnected, haven't we? So it's yeah, it's been great. And if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, do remember to press subscribe on your podcast app. It's free to do that and you'll then get notified when season five begins in the summer. In the meantime, do stay in touch. I'm at Holly Rubenstein on Instagram and Twitter. Some of you have asked me where my first stop is going to be post lockdown. So it's going to be South Devon, a place that I've never been to. I'm so looking forward to discovering that part of the world. It looks beautiful. And I'm staying at one of the best of British hotels, the Carey Arms, in a self-catering cottage there. So I'll let you know what it's like. I'll be sharing about it on my on my Instagram, no doubt. 
Right, I'll love you and leave you. I'll be back in the summer. Take care, stay well, safe travels. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.